0: Matthew's Gospel, Matthew chapter 20, and we're going to look at just one little section of Scripture, so we're taking a break from our our study in 1 Peter, but we're going to look at uh, one of the biblical accounts of a mother, okay, and by the way, happy Mother's Day, and I I always say up front about this that I am very thankful for mothers, obviously none of us would be here without mothers, Um, and I know... Mother's Day is both a, a, a joyous time, it also can be a hard time for some. Those that perhaps don't have children, those also who have lost their mothers or have had some hard memories with things. And I realize that as well, but we today want to seek to honor moms and certainly motherhood as a, a, a great and high calling. And I say that because the scripture tells us to do that, to honor people in the Lord and to do that. And we're going to read down through this text and then come back to it here and and look at it in in a bit. It says, Matthew 20, starting in verse 20, then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to him with her sons, kneeling down and asking something from him. And he said to her, what do you wish? And she said to him, grant that these two sons of mine may sit one on your right hand and the other on the left in your kingdom. But Jesus answered and said, "You do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I am able to or about to drink and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with?" And they said to him, "We are able." So he said to them, "You will indeed drink my cup. And be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with, but to sit on my right hand or on my left, it is not mine to give, but it is for those of whom it is prepared by my Father. And when the ten heard it, they were greatly displeased with the two brothers. But Jesus called them to himself and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who are great exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you, but whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. Let's pray. Lord, we are thankful again this morning for your word and for giving it to us. Thank you for the account in scripture here of this mother, who brought her two sons to Jesus and had a great request of them. And Lord, we ask today that you would first and foremost be exalted in everything that we do and say in this text as we open it up and study it. And Lord, we thank you again for those in our life, our mothers and those who serve in that role, even sometimes as an adopted kind of mother. And thank you, Lord, for those that are like that. In Jesus' name, amen. We uh, Before we get into our text, I know that there are some young ladies here that probably in our church that are thinking about motherhood, and maybe some still in those years of, of uh, having children, but there is a, I came across a, a test if you want to be a mother, okay, and I guess guys, you could think this way, but it's not going to happen, but you know, the, if you wanted to be a mother, here's a test, okay, and there's several things that you would do, and if you can say yes to each one of these, then you're okay to be a mom, okay, First one is called the mess test, and it's, me, it's this, smear peanut butter on the sofa and the curtains, place a fish stick behind the couch, and leave it there all summer. If you can put up with that, you're on your way. Here's the toy test. Obtain a 55-gallon drum of Legos. If Legos are not available, you may substitute them with something like roofing tacks, Okay. <laughs> Have a friend spread them all over the house, put on a blindfold and try to walk to the bathroom or kitchen and not scream when you step on them because that could wake up a child, just so you know. There's the grocery store test. Borrow one or two small animals, goats are best, and take them with you as you shop at the grocery store. Always keep them in sight and pay for anything they eat or damage. The dressing test. Obtain one large, unhappy, live octopus. (laughs) They turn bright red when they're unhappy, just so you know. Stuff them into a small net bag and make sure that all the arms stay inside. And there you go. If you can do that, you're on your way to dressing children. The feeding test. Obtain a large plastic milk jug. Fill half with water. Suspend from the ceiling with a stout cord um, from the ceiling. and, And then start the jug swinging. Try to insert spoonfuls of soggy cereal, such as Fruit Loops or Cheerios, into the mouth of the jug while pretending to be an airplane. Now dump the contents on the jug on the floor after you're done. There you go. That's the feeding test. The night test. Prepare by obtaining a small cloth bag and fill it with 8 to 12 pounds of sand. Soak it thoroughly in water. At 8 p.m., begin to waltz and hum with the bag until 9 p.m. Lay down your bag and set your alarm for 10 p.m. Get up, pick up your bag, and sing every song you have ever heard. Make up about a dozen more and sing these two until 4 a.m. Set alarm for 5 a.m., get up and make breakfast. Keep this up for five years and look cheerful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Physical tests. Obtain a large beanbag chair and attach it to the front of your clothes, okay? <laughs> this is, and leave it there for nine months. And now take out about eight beans, Okay? <clears throat> And you're done. All right. Final assignment. Find a a couple who already have a small child. Uh, Lecture them on how they can improve their discipline, patience, tolerance, toilet training, and child's table manners. Suggest many ways they can improve. Emphasize to them that they should never allow their children to run wild. Enjoy this experience. It will be the last time you'll ever have all the answers. All right. Anyways, a little humor to start our time here this morning. Um, but uh, certainly there is some truth to those uh, those tests. And as I've said in times past, if it was left up to fathers to raise children all on their own, all of that, they're part of the picture for sure. But to do all those things, the daily things that so often falls to the hands of the mother, you know what, uh, we would be gone in one generation. <laughs> we would be done. Extinction would happen to the human race. <clears throat> we come to this text, though, this morning, and I want to look at it because... There are a number of different Bible texts that, that show us uh, characters of mothers or, or, or stories about mothers and various things. But as far as I know, I, in going through Scripture, this is the first time I've ever really come across this one and thought about it as for a Mother's Day message. And I hope it goes well, but we'll see. But there are five things I want to look at this morning about the mother of the sons of Zebedee. All right. And these sons, uh, of course, are named in Scripture. It's John and James. They were two apostles. They were adult men at the time that this mother, her name is Salome, and we know that from the book of Mark. She's actually given, or he gives the details of the name of this woman. And uh, they were, by the way, known as the sons of thunder, Boanerges, as it says in Scripture. And so they had a kind of a nickname. These two were probably... Men that were wherever they went, they they caused a lot of ruckus. Okay, and yet behind those men was a mother, and a mother who was concerned. I, I have come to this text before and and kind of preached it on the uh, idea that that this mother came with mixed motives. She wanted her sons to be next to Christ in the kingdom. She she recognized this was an important man, and she wanted her her children to be. Uh, with this important man and to have a place of honor one on the left one on the right now a lot has been said about criticizing Salome for having that kind of motive but I don't think that's a a miss necessarily and we're going to look at that because this woman was concerned that her children would be near Christ and that was her concern in such a way that even as adults that she would go and bequest that before the Lord himself and would come bowing down before him. And that's what it says here, that the mother of Zebedee's sons came to him with her sons, kneeling down and asking something from him. And the word for kneeling down, it means to cast yourself forward or to uh, uh, lay down on your you know, face. And it's a, actually the same word that's used elsewhere and re- reference to worship. And it is a picture of someone who would bow down and they would cast themselves before another. And this is how this woman comes to Jesus. She just goes and bows down before him. And of course, Jesus knew her heart, but, but he asks her, what do you desire? What do you wish? And it's not the word kind of wish that we say like, you know, you... You rub a genie and, you know, the genie comes out and granted you three wishes. That's foolishness. And that's not what Jesus is talking about here, that he's going to give her some kind of wish that will be fulfilled. But he's saying, like we would use it today. What's your desire? Why are you here? What are you doing? I'm glad the Lord has time for people. We we don't always have time for people. I thought of that this morning. I was very busy this morning, and all of a sudden, there were several things that just happened that didn't work out, you know, the way I wanted them to, and created a little extra time, and it all worked out in the end, but but I said, I don't know how I'm going to do this this morning, and I got a little stressed. I'm on the way to church this morning, and I'm stressed, and my daughter says, Dad, I prayed for you. I'm like, oh boy, uh, I know, and I knew her mother had prayed for me today, and others prayed with me today, and prayed for me, and Thank you for doing that. Maybe probably people who I don't even know prayed. But I can say that sometimes life gets a little busy, and then you know what? The first thing that goes is the people. And we realize that it's not a program we're doing here. It's a people thing. You know, it's the church of God. And God's in it. And we need to make time for one another. We need to make time for people in our household. I'm thankful that when it comes to... Making time sometimes for the children. The the first one they go to is mom. Okay, sometimes dad doesn't have that time, or he thinks he doesn't have that time. But mom almost always has that time, and I'm thankful for a wife who's like that, and thankful in my own life for a mom who was very much like that and gave us time when we needed it. Well, we see five things about Solomon I want to look at, and the first one is the approach to Jesus. Jesus. She comes and she bows down before him. And um, she brings her sons to the feet of Christ. You see, that's the position they would have been in if they were bowing down before the Lord. You, you get down low and you are before someone else's feet. In this case, she came to the right feet. Because those feet were the feet of Christ. And there's no better place than to be at the feet of Christ. The feet of the Lord himself. And I thought of that because um, this woman was concerned about her sons. And she knew where to go. And I think if you want to have a first and foremost a great characteristic of a mom or a dad. Is this that you bring your children to the feet of Christ. And that they be there to learn that's what we do here when we come and we, we sit and we, we learn from the Bible. And we really, we're sitting figuratively, but we're sitting at the feet of Christ because we're learning of Him. And that's what it's about. It's about Him being first and foremost in our lives. Really, we're to do that with our families. We're to, to bring them to the Lord. And, and we do that not just on Sunday mornings, right? This is just an hour of our time during the week. It should be something that's done all the time. Like that song that we sang. Give us homes. In there. There's a phrase that says. In peace and in disaster. It doesn't matter if it's good in the home or bad. Or bad news comes. We should be immediately going to prayer. And bringing our families to the feet of Christ. Years ago. In the 1800's. There was a man named Robert Ingersoll. Recently the Huffington Post wrote an article on him. And the title of it was something like this. The The uh, most uh, one of the most important atheists that you've never heard of. And Robert Ingersoll was a, was a skeptic. He was in, called himself agnostic. He would really be called atheistic today. But um, he went around, and he was a tremendous lecturer, and he confounded people in the day uh, that there were many Christians in our country. And, and students would come out to hear him. Other skeptics would. People would come to hear him. And there was a couple of college students who went out to hear Robert Ingersoll. Uh, speak uh, and a lecture about, really about why there is no God and all of that. And on the way home, one student said to the other, well, I guess he knocked the props out of Christianity, didn't he? And the other said this, no, I don't think he did. Ingersoll did not explain my mother's life. And until he can explain my mother's life, I will stand by my mother's God. I thought, wow, you know, the testimony of a godly mother the testimony of someone who believes the truths of the word of god i'll tell you it's powerful and it'll it'll go into a world you know where there's lots of skepticism there's a lot of voices of atheism going on today and be thankful that that's and you know salome when she came to jesus with her sons she was concerned about her sons yes but she was concerned that they be near christ and I think that's the best concern you can ever have as a, as a parent, as a grandparent, as someone who influences children. And I realize there are people sitting right here in this room that you have a direct influence on these little ones that are running around and, and the other ones as well. And, and they're not related to you by blood, but they're in this family. And you know what? I'm thankful for those kind of people in my life as well who have done that. We see an attitude toward Jesus, an attitude. That's the second part of this. Not only do we see uh, her approach to Jesus, but her attitude. And we see how it says here that she was asking him or asking something from him. And he said to her, what do you wish? And she said to him, grant these two sons of mine may sit one on your right hand and the other on the left in your kingdom. There's a lot you could say about that. First of all, she has uh, an understanding of who Jesus really is. Now, she might not have had the timing right. I think like many Jewish people of that day, they were looking for a Messiah who was going to come because the Bible told them that the Messiah was going to come. But they were looking for a Messiah who would come and he would set up his kingdom. And he would get rid of those Roman Gentiles, those dogs as they referred to them, that were ruling over them. And their, their motives were very political in nature. By the way, we're in a world that's very similar today where, you know, as a, as a people, we, we say, oh, if we just had somebody to come and would remove all this oppression and remove poverty and remove all these things that stir us up so politically. And, and that's not what Jesus came to do, by the way. Someday he is coming again and he'll, he'll institute a literal kingdom. The book of Revelation talks about that. The Old Testament prophets talked about that. Jesus himself talks about it. But in between, they would, they wouldn't didn't understand that he would have to first come and suffer and die. And that there would be this age called the church age where the apostles would go out and they would evangelize and the early church would, those early uh, Christians would go out and evangelize and that would continue on for millennium. Millenniums, it would, definitely. You'd have... Uh, well well, we know over 2,000 years so far and the church is still being built someday christ is coming again and Solomon didn't have all those details and by the way she had just the old testament she didn't have the new testament written with more details what she did have though is a knowledge that someday christ would set up a kingdom and she wanted her sons near to him in that kingdom and she might have been uh, asking amiss we don't really know I don't think it's wrong to have a mother or a father pray to the Lord and say, Lord, I want my children to be close to you. I want my children to be rewarded for their life of faithfulness to you. Those are biblical prayers. Nothing wrong with that. So don't criticize her. I think she had the heart of a mother. And she wanted what was best for those children that she had been granted responsibility for. And that should be our prayer, I think, as well, for our children, for those around us that we influence. She comes to Jesus, and she has this attitude. By the way, we often learn those attitudes from our parents, and particularly from our mothers. I'm glad that um, it seems like mothers come with a lot more patience than dads. Uh, I don't know why, but that's been my kind of my take. It might not have been that way in your home. I don't know. It's, certainly there's differences, but I can tell you... Um, I'm not always a patient person. I know you find that hard to believe, but I'm not always a patient person. And I remember years ago, I was uh, driving somewhere, and I had uh, children in the back seat, and I pulled behind somebody that was driving like five under, you know, and I was in a hurry. And you know, that always happens. You're driving, you're going somewhere, you need to get there. You really don't want to speed. That's not what a Christian should do, or at least they shouldn't speed where they'd get a ticket, right? Yeah. But... And, and so I was thinking about pushing it a little bit and, and this person pulls out in front of us and I hear from the back seat, come on, people. And I thought, where did they ever hear that? <laughs> Probably from their mother, right? That's it. No. And and I tell you, the the things we say, the attitudes of the heart, and I won't tell you that was Lydia that said that, but anyways. <laughs> so, but anyways uh, the attitudes of the heart that show... Uh, and, and they come out, you know. When we go to prayer and we, we build in those godly examples of Christian character, they're modeled in the home first and foremost. And it's never too too late to start. By the way, never too late. Some, I've had people come to me and they beat themselves up say, oh, if I'd only been like this when, I was, when my kids were younger or I was like this. I, Listen, don't beat yourself up over the past. Go right to the now and say, today I'm going to live in godly Christian character. And there is an amazing influence of people, sometimes late in life even, when they get right with the Lord. We need to do that mothers are often sacrificial in the way they come to things as well um this attitude was seen that way she comes really asking the lord to take care of her sons and that's the greatest thing you can do for your children is to say lord i'm putting them in your hands now the lord doesn't some days my mother threatened i'm going to put you in the lord's hands but that's not what she meant but, you know, uh, I'll, I'll say it this way that we are putting them in the Lord's hands, and yet He gives them right back and says, Now you raise them. I'll give you the wisdom. I'll tell you how you can discipline your children and how you can, you know, love them and nurture them and all those things that there's 100,000 books written on. Just go to Him, all right? Look at His Word. The Bible's filled with all kinds of, uh, tru- of, of truths that He's given us everything we need for this life and for eternal life sacrifice. Moms are like that. I think you learn of sacrifice early on by a mother. Uh, one uh, classroom, from a, an example in the classroom, a teacher asked a boy this question. said, your mother bakes a pie, and um, she bakes a pie, and there are seven of you in your family, and what portion, if she's to cut that pie up, what portion would be yours? And he said, one-sixth. She says, oh, no, you don't understand. There are seven of you in the family. What portion is yours? He says, "He says, ma'am, you don't know my mother. See, she would cut it up into six pieces and say she doesn't want any pie. And, you know, that's true. That is how a mom is. Like she'll cut up the pie and she'll make sure that everybody gets a little bit more and she so that she goes without or many other little areas of that. And I've seen that time and time again, over and over again. Soloam was somebody that I'm sure she could have been doing something else with her day. She was probably a busy woman like every woman that I know. Busy women, often far busier than others. And yet she took time to go and to seek out the Lord and to go where he was and to make sure her requests were known to him. Make sure you do that. Thirdly, there's an appeal to Jesus. We hear in this verse 21, when he says, what do you wish? And she says, grant these two sons of mine that they may sit one on your right hand, the other on your left. Now, again, uh, she's appealing to the one that has that, you know, uh, the inside. (laughs) She's going to the important person in the room. All right. And that's sometimes we, again, we don't know her motives. I'm not going to judge her motives. All I see is her actions. And I think Maybe she was asking out of selfish reasons. Maybe not. I don't know. Maybe she was just saying, Lord, uh, I want you to take care of my sons, all right? And in doing that, she was also releasing them to him because she saw Christ as the one who's going to rule someday and she wanted her boys with him. She wanted her boys with him. That would imply also that if she later on needed her sons to take care of her they might not be there matter of fact Jesus knew that at least one of them would not be there we find that and that's really the awareness about Jesus verse 22 look what Jesus says you do not know what you ask wow (laughs) that's not the answer we want (laughs) you don't know what you ask and I I don't think he was harsh with her He says, are you able to drink the cup that I am able to drink and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? And they said to him, we are able. Sometimes we say things quickly and almost flippantly and we don't realize what we've just said or what we've just asked for. Jesus knew the future. Jesus knew all things. And you know, when this mother comes and says, here are my two sons and they they need, I want them to one sit on your right, one on your left. And they He says, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the same cup I'm going to drink? Are you able to be baptized in the same baptism? The the word, uh, the the cup that Jesus was going to drink of was the the wrath of God. And he was referring directly to his sacrifice at the cross. And later on he teaches on this in, in, in this text. He was going to give his life as a ransom for many. And he's saying this, if you're going to be my disciple, then you're going to have to do the same thing. You're going to have to come and you're going to have to sacrifice. If need be, even lay down your life. Interesting that as the Bible records of these two sons, James and John, James in Acts chapter 12 is the first of the apostles to die. He is killed by the sword by Herod. The last to die is John, the first and the last. Jesus took him took this woman at her word and he said they will be blessed but it will come through a very hard hard road most likely salome was still alive when john when james was killed by the sword i wonder if she understood then exactly what jesus was talking about i think she probably understood it sooner than that she probably was a listening mom and she understood it when jesus told her but didn't see all the ramifications of her request and neither did John. It says at the end of this verse, we are able. So they were answering affirmatively too. We are able to do that. If you're going to follow Christ and be a disciple, it comes at a cost. Sometimes it's, it's a small cost. A cost of turning around from our sin. That's, that's not a bad thing. And going and following Christ. But a lot of times it requires sacrifice on our part. Where we say, Lord, I'm going to give up all that I am about and give it to you. That's really what she was doing. She's giving her, her boys to the care of Christ and let him write the story in between. Sometimes we don't want to let him write the story. And we say, you know, go off and, and you know, do this and do that. We set up our children for success, but in our planning, we do not plan for the Lord. The best thing you can do is make sure they're thrust in a propelled you know, forward in a way that they are pointed in the direction of the Lord. And then the Lord will honor them. See, man tries to make plans. The Bible says that, doesn't he? But it's the Lord that directs his steps. Man has all kinds of plans, but God directs his steps. We know that. Well, the awareness about Jesus, she, she comes brutally aware at this point when he says to her, do you know there will be a cup that is a hard cup to drink from and a baptism. The word baptized there means to be immersed with And it is identifying with Christ. And by the way, baptism is a picture of death. That's why when we, as believers, uh, we follow the Lord in believers' baptism, we are actually saying to the world publicly, we go out into the water or whatever and brought underneath the water that we've died with Christ positionally by faith. we, We accept what Christ has done for us and we've died with him. And when you come up out of the water, it pictures the resurrection And we are raised up with Christ to serve Him. That's what baptism is. It's a picture. And it doesn't save anybody, by the way. What saves people is turning to Christ from sin and trusting Him by faith. Faith in Christ. That's what saves. And that's the most important thing. And and Jesus is alluding to His death that is impending at this point. It's coming. And that leads us to the the fifth thing here and the fifth thing is that um, the acceptance of jesus he said to them you will indeed drink my cup and be baptized with the baptism that i am baptized with but to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give but it is for those whom is prepared by my father it's it's interesting conversation going on because There's a request made. It seems very almost superficial, uh, kind of shallow. Can I sit on the left? He sits on the right. You know, Can they, kind of like a, a material almost request. Jesus throws it back into a deeper thought. Can you drink the cup? Can you be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with? And then they said, we are able. And you know what? I have to take them at their word. I don't think they were doing it callously or just quickly i i don't think they knew everything obviously what was coming but they by faith when they said those words i am able or we are able you know what they were saying identify with you lord by the way that's all he requires of us is to identify with him you see someday when you die and i die and, and death is approaching believe it or not all of us are on that road we're in a line somewhere and one day it's our turn you know and listen You'll stand before the Lord someday. He's either going to know you or he won't know you. You're either going to identify with him now or you won't identify with him later. And he's going to say, depart from me for I never knew you. And he cast people out into a place called the lake of fire. That's what the Bible tells us. That's what Jesus said. That's an awful thing. I don't think there's any mother or father or brother or sister here that would ever want anybody to go in that direction, away from the Lord. And yet, sometimes we sit and we think, I'm okay. I don't need to identify with Christ now. He's too much. Guess what? You've got to identify with Him now, or it could be too late. And it seems that's what Jesus says in the next phrase. He says, you will indeed drink, right? My cup. In other words he's saying you will identify with me and i think they came to understand that clearly uh, at the cross by the way one of those that was at the cross that witnessed the cross while the others were scattered was who john the only disciple that stayed <laughs> for the crucifixion was john i think the others were aware of it but they were in the shadows looking out going oh it's me next they're going to come for me If they can do this to Jesus, they're surely going to do it to me. And yet those disciples went from fearful and scared and cowering and hiding in upper rooms that are locked, all that, to men who were bold and would go out and would proclaim in the face of great opposition and persecution that Jesus Christ is Lord. And they would each one, one by one, give their life for the Lord, laying it down through sword, through being stoned to death through being beaten and crucified, all those different things. And it started with James, and it would go right through church history. And it would end with John, who suffered great persecution in his life. And church history reveals to us that he died as an old man in his 90s. but he didn't die directly of persecution, but he bore the marks in his body of great persecution. The Lord having delivered him from that. John, probably the only one that died of a natural, what we so called natural death. And yet... He witnessed all those things take place and all how those words would have come back to him many times over about the baptism jesus was talking about and the cup that jesus was talking about you see when christ said to his disciples if you're going to be one of my followers he says take up your cross and follow me he was not talking about the burdens we bear and the, the problems we face and the stresses of life. We sometimes say that's my cross to bear. He was talking about what the cross really symbolizes, which is death. He says, give your life. In other words, make sure you you're don't have any you know, baggage of this life. You're willing to lay down your life if necessary. And Jesus is the perfect example of that. And actually he says that in this text. And when the ten heard it, they were greatly displeased with the two brothers. Oh, boy. See how envy pops in? And I could preach a whole sermon on this. I won't for lack of time. But sometimes when people get right with God, it causes envy with others that should know better. (laughs) Don't be envious of someone who's right with the Lord and following them. Just be happy for them and maybe get right with the Lord yourself. But Jesus called to them to himself and he said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord over them and those who are great exercise authority over them. That's the world we live in. It's always yes sir, no sir, yes ma'am, no You know, we have somebody over us, under us, whatever. And we, that's how the world runs, right? But not with the Lord. The Lord says this, he says, yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. Ooh serve is great reward for someone who will go and serve sometimes doing the things and i i think you you know you almost could change that f- word servant now i hope i'm not doing the bible injustice here but it, it, you could say mother <laughs> i can't think of a more serving heart than the heart of a mother when they do everything for those little ones from the time that they're conceived and carry them into this world and they're changing the diapers and feeding them and all those little funny things we talked about that are real, you know, and true. All that, that falls mostly on the hands of a mother to do in the heart of a mother. And you know what? It's a high calling. It's a high calling of a disciple. And if you're a, a mom who says, sought to stay with your children and train them up and do those things, let me tell you, you're doing a great thing for the Lord. But to be a servant... And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Instead of saying, hey, I'm too big to do that. I'm too great to do that. Turn around and say, hey, what can I do to serve? That's what a slave does. Just as the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. He gets to the heart of the whole matter. He points it right back to why he came. He came not to be served in a, in a worldly kingdom but he came so that he might serve and he might give his life a ransom. And the word ransom there is just the way we use it today a payment. If you think of someone who's been taken captive and there's there's a release payment involved they call it a ransom. And you would have to pay a large sum if somebody was taken prisoner in those days and to get them out of captivity. Or if somebody was enslaved, you would have to pay a large sum to get them out of slavery and free them. The thing is, we all are enslaved. We're born enslaved to sin and to sin's consequence. And we're destined to die apart from God in be cast off into hell. And all that is, by the way, a great payment that is required. A payment that you can't pay and I can't pay. But a payment that Jesus paid at the cross. When Jesus hung on the cross and he said it was finished. He had made the payment for sin. By his own death. That's what he says here. To give his life a ransom for many. And that many is all those who would believe. All those who would accept that payment. Oh it's so important. If you've not trusted Christ as your savior. If you've not accepted that payment for your sin. My friends, you're lost. You're dying and you're on your way to hell. It's that simple. But Jesus paid away. And He secures that way in the resurrection. The third day, death itself did not hold Him. And He's alive today to secure the payment. And to secure that that payment is good enough forever. You just need to trust Him. I believe that Salome, this mother, came to Jesus... And no matter what you say about her, you can turn around and say she went away differently. She had more knowledge of who Jesus was and what his plan was all about. And these two men that were with her, her sons, they would indeed go out and they would do what Jesus told them to do. And they were godly men, godly disciples. And they would indeed give their life as well. And they're examples for every single one of us. We need to be that kind of a person. Someone who is... Uh, acceptance has acceptance of Jesus and what He has said. Also, let's pray, Lord. We're reminded this morning exactly what You said when You said to uh, when at, I think of the baptism of Christ in the Jordan River. Though it was not the baptism He was referring to here, it was a picture of what was going to happen. And the voice from heaven said, "This is my beloved Son. Hear ye Him." And Lord, that is exactly. What we need to do this morning is hear Him. And I pray if there's anybody here that does not know You as their Savior, that even before they leave this room today, they would by faith trust You. They would be like this woman. They would come to Christ to be at His feet, none other. And we thank You for this, Lord. Thank You for Your Word. We thank You for those in our life, these mothers we've talked about, and those that influence us. and. We commit all this to you in thanksgiving. In Jesus' name, amen.